Two NYPD policemen fell in the line of duty, extending a serious line of、uh, death after the new DA took office. The funeral today caught the heart of the entire nation. Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg stood the heat for his soft on crime policy, but doubled down on it. District attorneys in both San Francisco and Los Angeles faced a similar public outcry and also a recall. So why soft on crime? How did we get here? What is the right policy? Still remember broken window and American Mayor Giuliani. More serious than what we already know, Victor Hansen today would tell us will tell us about the potential American system breakdown and the fundamental reason behind it. Welcome to Wei and Kathy Show. I'm your host Wei Fang. I'm Kathy Zhang. Well, today really is is a sad drama caught the the heart of the entire nation. It hasn't been since 1945, the end of、uh, Second World War,、uh, where there are so many uniformed people on the street of New York. The funeral of、uh, Jason Rivera, the 22-year-old New New NYPD policeman who lost his life in the line of fire. Had had his、uh, funeral today. Right. So, fallen police officer of、uh, New York City, Jason Rivera, was laid to rest this morning. Hundreds of、uh, law enforcement have、uh, converged, along with the family, friends, and the general public, to pay their final respects. Let's see some of the scene of the. Funeral. The funeral mass was at、uh, St. Patrick's Cathedral in New York City. So、uh, let's just、uh, see some of the scene over there. Yeah, it's really a solemn,、um, you know, in the、uh, scene. Literally thousands of thousands of、uh, NYPD policemen and、um, and a and sheriff stood on the street today, and.、Uh, Yeah, let's just、uh, you know、um, what happened, right? So last Friday on January 11th, Rivera and his partner, police officer Wilbur Mora, responded to a domestic violence call in Harlem. A mother called for help because he said his her adult son was arguing with her and threatening her. So both officers responded along with another、um, officer without uniform. But、uh, Rivera and Morrow、um, were fatally shot. So at today's funeral, the widow of、uh, Officer Rivera delivered a very moving eulogy. I would say good morning to you all, but in fact, it's the worst morning ever. I can't believe I'm standing in front of thousands of people in the cathedral we plan to visit later this year. All of this seems so unreal, like I'm having one of those nightmares that you never thought you'd had. So、uh, this is、uh, Dominica Lozarega. She recalled the day that、uh, 
you know, she was with her husband. They only married for a few months. Three months. Yeah, they got married last October. And Jason was a um, really young NYPD policeman. He loved the force, and he only joined force in his 20th. So now he's only 22 year old, only after a, a, a little more than one year and a half, and he fell in the line of fire. Yeah, in the line of the duty. And uh, Dominic uh, re recalled that what happened that that morning. You know, they went to um, have breakfast together as their you know routine. But uh, you know, the worst thing she said that the worst thing happened was they got into an argument. And because she wasn't happy that uh, Jason still had his uh, work phone with him while they are together, so um, they, you know, got into kind of uh, argument. And uh, usually, Jason will send her home before going to work. But uh, Dominique just said, "I don't want to argue anymore." So she called on the Uber, and the one line, one sentence, like a one word, the last word. Uh, Jason told him, "Is like, are you sure?" And he said, "This could be my last ride for you." So I think you know, at that time, the couple was you know having some heat, right? Together, mm -hmm. it's normal. But uh, Dominic said that was, uh, and she said no, and she said that's the worst uh, decision and the, the thing she said to Jason. Mm -hmm. And in the afternoon, then Dominic, you know, started to notice from the app. You know, saying that uh, two officers um, in Harlem were shot, and then she got worried. She called, and uh, you know, then she described how she um, got the news and uh, described the heart-wrenching moment she found out that Jason had been killed. I called, and then called again. And then call one more time. And this time, I felt something wasn't right. I messaged Pioca David and Joe because I knew they were your friends from the 3 2. And I get no response. Then I get a call asking if I'm Jason's wife. And then I had to rush to the hospital. Walking out those steps, seeing everybody staring at me was the scariest moment I've experienced. Nobody was telling me anything. Thousands of people were surrounding me, and yet I felt alone. I couldn't believe you left me. So, yeah, at the end of the eulogy, actually, Dominic criticized Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg, and uh, she received a long-standing ovation from people who attend the funeral. And although you won't be here anymore, I want you to live through me. The system continues to fail us. We are not safe anymore. Not even the members of the service. I know you were tired of these laws, especially the ones from the new DA. I hope he's watching you speak through me right now. 
eventually most people, if not all, stand up. And the DA was sitting there. Was among them? Yeah, was among them. sure all of our blue family is tired too but I promise we promise that your death won't be in vain I love you to the end of time we'll take the watch from here Well, the ending piece indeed uh, <clears throat> caught the attention, media's attention, and um, and how the the lady, the wife, the widow, was uh, targeting the, the uh, DA, uh, Elvin Brack. His name is Elvin Brack. He stepped into office in January first. Okay, let's talk about why he, you know, why 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 she did that, and what did uh, Elvin Brack do? But before we even got there, let's just revisit a, a, a new law that was passed um, was was in you know was in place in the January first of twenty twenty. Okay, so basically, at that time, New York passed a law which um, um, which would uh, give a much bigger leeway to the um, to the um, people in jail. Okay, so the law actually was meant to reduce the number of people jailed while waiting for trial simply because they could not afford to pay bail. That's bail. Yeah, that's the original purpose. And uh, the pro proponent said the law would have reduced the jail population by at least 40% by eliminating cash bail for as much as 90% of the arrest. Okay, so basically for most uh, misdemeanors and nonviolent uh, felonies, judges are required to re release people with the least restrictive uh, conditions, and cash bail is prohibited. For the remaining cases, judges maintain the option of setting cash bail. Uh, basically, judges have, the, have their own you know, free, uh, room uh, to decide on how much bail they're going to set. And then, and then it also allowed cash bail for almost all violent felonies and certain nonviolent felonies, such as sex offenses, and with witness tampering. Okay, so after the law was you know, the law was passed, and the govern, then Governor Coomer signed it, and, and it just went to the effect in the January first of twenty twenty. And then right away, you, you know, the, we see the crime rate in the New York City increase. So because of that, not just in New York City, in New York State, right away they came back and revisit re revisit the law and revise it in uh, in three months. So in April it has a revision, but revision really just uh, only have a little bit change, which is basically when you when they release people without a bail, they have to consider the person's history. If it has a criminal history, they may need to pay some pay, pay some cash to get the bail. But generally speaking, it's still a much much more. Um, how to say, lenient way to, to target mis mis misdemeanor and, uh, and uh, including finally. All right. So what happened to this DA? This DA was voted in and, uh, uh, last year and uh, stepping office in January 1st. On day one, he issued one staff memo, directed prosecutors to drop some misde misdemeanor cases, not seek bail or prison time for most defendants and to downgrade certain felonies to misdemeanors. 
All right. So after this, uh, he faced this criticism. Um, in just uh, less than one month, okay, five policemen were shot, and then he doubled down on his controversial progressive policies yesterday, and he defiantly declared declare that the U.S. Constitution gives him the right to not prosecute certain crimes. Okay, and the Bragg claimed that uh, prosecutor prosecutor real uh, discretion is the bedrock principle embedded in our Constitution. I don't know about you. Uh, Constitution is not very long, and uh, you know I, I read the Constitution, entire Constitution. I don't know where is his base, but that was his claim. And he said uh, now there's this uh, proliferation of the criminal laws, and no prosecutors is enforcing every single law all the time. So he said, we are exercising prosecutorial discretion. And he said, what I and some others have done this, we said it out loud in the spirit of transparency. All right. So after he issued a memo and uh, he moved into office just for 20 days, at least nine Manhattan prosecutors quit, and uh, including one who a law enforcement source said left quit without a job. It just basically just walked out. And, uh, and Bragg, Elvin Bragg said, I think it's a really, really modest number that has uh, departed. And I addressed office earlier today. I think the morale, the, the morale is good. That's his response. Mm. All right. So, <clears throat> so in, in the meantime, Kathy will bring you the story in San Francisco and in Los Angeles, <clears throat> right? So let, let's just revisit one, one issue. The, the, okay, and, and uh, this, this is a Manhattan DA, right? Right, yeah. And uh, so actually before, you know, bring you the story uh, in the DAs um, of San Francisco and Los Angeles, I wanted to share with you because we were talking about the, um, you know, fallen officers. So just uh, very recently, FBI, uh, it's, it, it had a division to, um, have a stat statistics of the intentional killing of law enforcement officers. And uh, the pre preliminary data shows that this type of intentional killing of law enforcement officers reached 20-year high last year. So that's according to FBI's uh, law enforcement officers killed and assaulted. So uh, let's show a C1. 2021 is the highest number of law enforcement officers who were intentionally killed in the line of duty. It marks the highest total recorded by the agency since 1995, in, excluding the 911 attack. And, uh, and last year, in 2021, 346 police officers were shot. That's unprecedented including 73 officers died in a felonious killing in the line of duty, which is a 59% increase from 2020's a total of uh, 46. That's uh, breaking the previous high of uh, 72 felonious uh, killing in 2011. So FBI classified a death as a, a felonious uh, killing when an officer is fatally injured as a direct result of a willful and intentional act by an offender. Then separately, 56 officers were killed accidentally while in the line of duty last year, which is also up 
from uh, 46 in 2020. So, you know, from 2020 to 2021, we can see really an, a hike uh, in such kind of um, cases. Mm -hmm. So how about this year, right? Yeah. We just entered 2020, but actually, unfortunately, uh, that's, uh, we see an explosion of attack on the police officers nationwide. Today is the 28th of the first month of uh, 2020, already at least... 2022. 20, tw yeah, 2022. So at least 25 police officers shot in January so far, which is a 38% increase from last year. That including nine police officers shot in major cities in the past week, past seven days. And uh, in the last 48 hours, Six officers shot in three major cities, including three of them in Houston, two in St. Louis, and one in Milwaukee. It's just found out that um, the cop was uh, the cop was killed in Houston. Uh, one of them, he is actually an illegal alien, and who entered the United States illegally and has been the, the killer. The, the killer. Yeah. Yeah. The killer. Mm -hmm and has been on the run for past 20 years. So that's the situation. And uh, we also know that uh, there are videos showing the illegals were flown to New York City and across America by the federal agents. So that's, you know, it's another topic, but it's related. So really, what is the root cause? That's uh, what uh, I will, we will bring you the um, analysis, the comments from uh, Hoover Institute fellow, senior fellow, Professor Victor Hansen, just uh, in a little bit. I interviewed him yesterday, you know, um, he talked about something. He's very worried, very shocking. We hope it's not the case, but we will hear from him. Now let's come, you know, talk about the DAs, district attorneys. In Los Angeles County yesterday, uh, the county just approved a petition to recall District Attorney George Gascon. He is now officially facing a second recall effort. So the first recall was, you know, they fell short, but they did got a good number of um, uh, petition signatures and uh, raised a big amount of uh, funding fund. So why Los Angeles uh, residents wants to recall uh, George Gascon? The recall campaign said in the press release issued after the county registrar's uh, approval saying that uh, we are sick and tired of living in the pro-criminal paradise Gascon created. They said that it's actually a bipartisan recall effort supported by more than 30 cities in Los Angeles County. Um, so the voters just had no confidence against the district attorney. Most recently, Beverly Hills officially endorsed the recall campaign on January 4th. The organizers have until Janu uh, July 6th to gather and submit about uh, 570,000 signatures to get the measure on this uh, November ballot. And according to the recall campaign organizer, Gascon's uh, had this uh, policies criminal friendly, that's what they called including disregard for the existing laws and the support for weakened sentencing for violent crimes. So 
um, the critics said that uh, George Gascon issued several policies that have emboldened gangs and the criminals in Los Angeles. We, you know, things that we can remember, like the flash and the grab retail robberies, right? Mm -hmm. And the follow home robberies really shocked the Los Angeles uh, residents. Actually, it's not alone. We reported to you about San Francisco. That's the next one, right? But um, those uh, notable uh, victims, including a Los Angeles Police Department officer killed while off duty on January 10th during a, a shootout with robbery suspects. And then two women killed by a suspect homeless people and, uh, you know, very famous uh, uh, music music icon Clarence Avent's wife right was actually shot to death while he is in his her Beverly she was in her Beverly home a Beverly Hill home and other policies like the zero bail and also Gascon in 2020 issued a special directive directing his prosecutors to seek dismissal of all three strikes charges including gun Again, and other sentencing enhancement, saying that the majority of those uh, incarcerated uh, belonged to long disadvantaged groups. And uh, most recently, the train robbery, if you remember, right? As high as um, 90 containers were robbed per day. The Union Pacific agents caught, like uh, they said, uh, like dozens, almost like 100 suspects, but the district office in the direction of Gascon, just basically let them go or just let them go on the very low bails. I had a statement from the Union Pacific um, spokesperson and he said they really feel that it's, it is because of a DA's um, policy that uh, made this situation. So the recall group said in the petition that George Gascon's new policies treat Korea and the repeat violent offenders as if they had never committed a crime, ignoring public safety laws approved by the people. So that's why you know, he's facing another effort to recall. In San Francisco, Chester Bolding, um, he's already facing the recall election in this um, summer, in this June. And Chester Bolding, again, is very soft on crime. You know, the, uh, he, you know, personally, I was told by the police officers, uh, you know, who was in charge of our area, they said he's just he just let the criminals go. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, this uh, uh, Charles Bolding actually, I interviewed him when he was running for office about uh, four years ago. And at that time, I still remember he said, "I want to focus." He said, "I want to focus my resource on the major crime." Okay, on small ones will not um, spend too much effort on that because it's not important, it's not crucial, it's not as efficient. It's, it's plausible, okay? as, you, as you hear him talking about that, you thought, well, it seems, seems like a strategy, could it work? Anyway, let me tell you a story. Back in the early 1990s, if you recall, if you are long, you know, old enough, you were around, back then you remember that uh, New York City was uh, really a, 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 a crime city. Okay, the situation was not good at all. I was just came to the U.S. I went through the um, Grand Central Station and to Connecticut. I have a bus, um, transit, the bus transit there. And my experience at that night was really, really bad. That was my first impression of America, a dark city in the New York, New York City. However, 
In the 90s and in the early 2000s, uh, New York City improved and uh, its uh, crime rate was uh, greatly reduced. And, uh, and if you go to Times Square, you know, since then until today, it's not a crime place, it's not a you know, so-called red light place, a pornography and uh, flourish around, no. Times Times Square today, you see the commercial, you see the art, you see the theaters. That's what you see. It's a clean city. Okay. So what happened? What happened in 1993? Rudy Giuliani ran for a mayor and he got elected. In 1997, he got reelected again. And his slogan at that time is "Tough on Crimes." So how did he do it? Okay. He actually find a, he hired an outsider, the police commissioner um, from Boston. And his name is William Brenton. And William Brenton came in and applied a, a theory which is called the broken window theory. And for many of you, you probably know. If, if you know, can, can you type it up there? I really want to do a little survey here to see among our audience how many people you know this theory, okay? But I think it's really worth uh, mentioning. And uh, the theory was, um, how to say, um, proposed or invented by two scholars. And uh, the first scholar's name is uh, James Wilson. He's a professor at UCLA and Harvard University at that time. This is in 1982, the Reagan time. Okay, and the other scholar is uh, George Kelling. And he's a professor at uh, Rogers University in Newark. And also, he's also a scholar at uh, Harvard University. He's also a probation officer, so dealing with the criminals most of, his, most of his life. So they, they propose this uh, broken window uh, theory. So what, what, does, what, what does that do? Okay, it's basically said that the visible signs of crime, antisocial behavior, and the civil disorder create an urban environment that encourages further serious crime. So basically in short, okay, if you allow minor uh, crime to exist, bigger crime follow. So how do you fix a city? How do you fix the crime of a city? You focus on the broken window. Let's take a look at the broken window. Uh, you see that uh, the meaning. You know, when, when you see a building like this and a broken window like that, you would see, well, it's fine to commit some crime. It seems that this is a crime environment. But if you fix every broken window, okay, focus on the minor crime, focus on the minor crime, prosecute them, remove them, eliminate them, the bigger crime was gone. You know, they don't follow. Okay, true or not, um, through Rudy Giuliani's um, tenure, the crime rate in New York City really dropped very, very sharply. Okay, it, it, he's, the police commissioner, Brenton, William Brenton, and the mayor Giuliani was so successful that the Los Angeles came to New York and, uh, you know, and they just hired William Brenton away. And then after the Rodney King uh, incident and the riot in Los Angeles and so on and so forth, Los Angeles was a mess. This is in early 2000. And uh, William Brendan was uh, hired by the Los Angeles um, Police Department, become the commissioner there. So he moved to Los Angeles and fixed that city over there. Then in uh, 2014, he came back to the New York City on invitation, of course, and served as the commissioner of the new NYPD again for two years until 2016. Okay, so this is the, this is the history and uh, theory of uh, broken window theory. It's completely contrary to what this DA, this Alvin uh, Bragg of the Manhattan DA, and also this uh, Chelsea Bolton and the uh, Los Angeles DA, what's his name? So this three- George Gascon. George Gascon. And uh, they said uh, the reason why they think, you know, we should be, be soft on crime, very simple, they said, uh, 
because they are disadvantaged people. They are poor, so you should let them go. All right, be lenient. That's that's basically it. So this is my, you know, as you can see, right? This is completely contrary to the broken window theory, which proved to work. So in the name of this is again in the name, in, really in the name of being lenient, being compassionate, we allow crime to flourish. And uh, me, uh, Wei Fang, okay, as a person who come from China, from a communist country, this is really what I want to share with you: the so-called leniency, the kindness. The compassion is a poison. Okay, they focus on some very small problem of the system and go in and and just push that to the extreme, and the the, the purpose is destroy the current order. Okay, they try to amplify some some compassion to out of portion to the point of disrupt and destroy the current order. That's the purpose. That's how communist and socialist work. Okay, they just grab something. And really, just blow that out of portion. Yeah, but you know, I think people would uh, ask, where's the compassion for the victims, right? They have the compassion for the criminals, but where's the compassion? The compassion should be on the victims, whether that's a regular, you know, citizen or law enforcement officers. Yeah, they are the victims. They should. They deserve our. Compassion. Yeah, and, and just just you know, just choosing to focus on the um, criminals and not on the victims. This is something that you know, if we, if we are well informed enough, we can think about that. We become real aware of that. However, the intentional blindsided on just one one issue on the criminals. What I want to share with you, whether you know. If you don't believe it, just let me you know, just type it in the comment. I want to learn, you know, I want to learn how you how you feel about that. That was intentional. The purpose is grind down America. This is how far it goes. All right. So Victor Hansen and Kathy interviewed him, and he he bring us some more serious issue, and we want to share with you. Yeah, so uh, as you know, many of you know, Victor Hansen, uh, professor, he's a, a classist and a historian um, at the Stanford uh, Hoover Institution, and an author of twenty uh, some books. So uh, I talked to him yesterday, and uh, so he recently he wrote an article, actually just uh, uh, just. You know, distributed in dozens of uh, published uh, publications, he was asking, he was questioning. You know, things are happening right now, including the law enforcement. You know, what happened uh, with to the two officers in New York, to the fam, to their families, and also the uh, spike of crimes that we described, as well as the situation at the border, the inflations, and uh, you know, just. Uh, CRT, critical race theory, all those things, and he was very worried. And what he was worried is that if America is heading for a systems collapse, so really, what is a systems collapse? So I asked him this question, and also asked him what's the fundamental reason behind it. Well, in history, there are a, a num number of examples. Uh, of success, successful societies that start to unwind, and it's not because of climate change or foreign invasion or anything like that. Um, 
it's not inevitable. So Rome in the West, let's say, started to unravel between 430 and 480 um, AD. But Roman society in the East, it, Constantinople would go on for a thousand years. So obviously something was different. And the characteristics are pretty easy to identify. Suddenly it's not safe to be out. If you want to take a trip, you have to calibrate what time of day you go or whether you'll be assaulted or not. If you want to buy food or necessities or find shelter, the shelves will be empty. Or if you are of a particular tribe within your group, you might have to band together by superficial appearance because you're afraid another tribe will attack you and tribalism has replaced the central authority of the government. Or you have no confidence in the government because it's chaotic or it won't enforce laws or it enforces laws asymmetrically. But all of that filters down to your existentials of living. And so food and shelter and transportation become very hard and they, and they unwind. And why does this happen? It's usually because Either the currency has lost its value due to inflation or deficits or borrowing, or there is a breakdown in the application or the enforcement of law or criminals are not incarcerated, or more importantly, people don't believe anymore in the authority or the um, legitimacy of government and they start to freelance on their own to take and all of those things happen. They happen in the Mycenaean world. They happen during the Greek city-state. They happened in particular uh, periods in the European Dark Ages. So they're not uncommon. And they can be quite abrupt. They can happen you know, over a period of years rather than decades or centuries. It's not that there's not long-term catalysts for it. But, and, I, and I tried in that article to suggest that when you go to the store today, you may not find what you want. And you'll see for the first time in my life, large areas of shelving that's empty. Or when you want to buy fuel, suddenly you have to decide whether you want to drive or you want to buy something if you, or because of the inflation. Out here in California, $5 a gallon. Or you want, might want to buy a steak that was affordable and now it may cost $45. You can't buy it. Or if you're going to Los Angeles or San Francisco and you have a nice car and a used car, you might decide you're not going to drive your newer car because you could be carjacked or it could be stolen or the catalytic converter could be cut out. Or when you go to San Francisco, you might not want to walk into the Tenderloin at night or even down in Market Street during the day. Or your ethnic group may be targeted by another ethnic group, so you never really identified by that group, but you're forced to now because you don't have confidence in the state to, to keep you safe or your schools that were places of safety and unity now have either been shut down or they're, they don't exist or they exist in something that's a form that's unrecognizable. So I'm pretty worried about it because it seems to me that this is a, a matter not just of left or right or Democratic or Republican, but the stuff of life is now in danger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think what you it described um, from the history, actually people can really relate to what's happening right now. So uh, just from the history, what do you think we can learn what's the fundamental reason for that to be happened? What went wrong? 
Well, in a lot of these cases, there were or decisions. There, were, the people in within a society or a state or a nation are no longer. They no longer accept the premises of that state or that culture, and every every city, state, every nation has to believe that it's unique. It's better than the alternative, and it has a history, origins, lifespan that's worth defending, whether materially or, or abstractly. But here in the United States, we're in an Orwellian situation where we have two million people from the poorest parts of the world who are dying to get in here, but a large number of our elite are telling them and telling us in general that this is a bad country at its origins. It got worse during its development, and it's hopeless now unless we fill in the blanks. We have to use race to determine appointments. We have to get rid of the electoral college. We've got to jump the filibuster. We've got to have a national voting law contrary to the spirit of the Constitution. We've got to let in two states. We've got to put in 15 justices, all because this country is so toxic, but then they cannot explain at the same time if it's so toxic, why do they and millions others want to live here? And so there's no confidence in the institutions anymore. Nobody has respect. And then the other thing is that relativism rather than absolutism uh, starts to permeate a society. And by that I mean you can always argue for something uh, something wrong with something. So if you have a homeless person and he's shooting drugs or he's defecating on the street or he's hitting somebody with a hammer, you can say, well, I don't know about his upbringing or he made a bad life choice or I wouldn't want to be. And then what you always do is you punish the innocent victim or you expect the citizen to obey laws that you will not enforce in terms of the criminal. So the person who is a citizen and feels that he or she has a responsibility to follow the laws is the last on the totem pole of consideration by the state. So if you want to today get on an airplane, you're going to have to show a license or a passport, domestic flight. If you're from south of the border and you're being transported or you're taking a flight, you can show an arrest record because you have no passport or driver's license, but yet you're gonna, even though you're residing here illegally and you've been arrested, that arrest record will allow you to have identification. And so, or if somebody, if you or I are walking in Oakland or San Francisco and somebody hits us in the face, it's gonna destroy our day, our health, our, our year, but the person who hit it might not be subject to any punishment at all. He can say that he was provoked or he had a bad childhood or he, he was a victim of a particular. So there's a cynicism that develops that the law-abiding citizen is targeted who plays by the rules and pays the taxes so that the non-law-abiding -law citizen will not, be, will not be punished for transgressions. And then once you start doing that, then the law-abiding citizen says, you know what, I can't follow the law because I'll die if I do. So I'm going to take measures into my own hand. And that's dangerous too. He says, I'm going to live with my tribe. I'm going to make a clan. I'm going to buy my own weapons. I'm going to find my own sources of food or fuel. And, he, and that's what's starting to happen as well. Yeah, so um, basically, Professor Hansen just said, you know, the, the root cause he believes the the wokeism, the woke ideology. He he said that it's really it's cruel and it's uh, antithetical 
uh, to the funding of the United States. He just feels it's really, really dangerous. So I had a more, you know, talk to him more about it, but I will, you know, share with the, his uh, entire interview with you in, you know, pretty soon. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, so. I saw a lot of uh, comments. Uh, one thing I saw both on the YouTube and the safe chat, our friends are, you know, talking about uh, one matter is uh, uh, George got, uh, George Soros uh, backing some of those uh, DAs. I actually did uh, some research. I had a, a kind of in-depth interview um, in that topic. So we'll um, share with you maybe next week. So that is one of the issues that uh, uh, people are concerned about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, I hate CCP. He said, uh, what... Do communism in United States want destroy local police? So they installed federal CCP police. They want the power, okay? They want the power, and the current framework of America prevent them from obtaining the power. So they have to destroy the current framework, create a chaos, create a crisis. When people in the crisis, they ask for whatever you know, whatever help they can grab. At that time, they make a bold promise. They got elected. Then they start to change, uh, have put in their fundamental change. This is how I read the situation, you know, just yeah, boring. That's how like Cuba and uh, yeah. in China have you know, happened. How the communism communists uh, grab the power because they actually, uh, you know, they are minority at that time. Mm -hmm. But because of the chaos, they made a you know promise. You know, we're gonna. Uh, change the situation, we're gonna give you peace and the things like that. Just then, you know, people just give them the power. Yeah. There are indeed uh, differences between uh, USA and uh, Venezuela, you know, from that with the Soviet Union and China and the, and the People's Republic of China. For the, uh, for, for the latter, the Soviet Union and the People's Republic of China, they, they, they just have, they, they, how to say, um, rebellion. They have their um, rebellion. They, they, they took it to took the arms and uh, toppled the legitimate government. In the U.S. and Venezuela, no, they used the vote to do that. But it's very, very hard. Very hard. If America is functioning well, those people, communists, cannot be voted into office unless they create a mess. And uh, to uh, accomplish that, they have to destroy our business, destroy our school, destroy our churches, and um, destroy our media. So this is uh, what they've been doing. Okay, the ultimate goal is to create chaos and a crisis. Then they can, they can get into power, get into power through legitimate, you know, election. So yeah, besides all the crisis, you know, the the, the systematic failure that uh, Professor Hansen was warning, I just want to quote this. Okay, as the ending of the, of today. So the two scholars remember the the inventor of the uh, broken window, and uh, James Wilson said this at that time. He was actually, when he was a young professor, he voted for all Democrat president or candidate, like John Kennedy, Lyndon Johnson, and Herbert uh, Humphrey. And he even worked on the Humphrey's uh, campaign. Mm -hmm. But later, he became a uh, leading conservative scholar. On the issue of a war on drugs, let me just quote his, his word. He said, many educated people in America discuss the drug problem in almost every way except the right way. They talk about the cost of drug use and the socioeconomic factors that shape that use, and so on and so forth. They rarely speak plainly the following. Drug use is wrong. 
because it, it is immoral, and it is immoral because it, in, it enslaves the mind and it destroys the, the soul. Right? I think we're we losing our campus. Okay, what is right, what is wrong? Shooting on people is wrong, and rob on people is wrong. You know, even you are poor, it's still wrong. But it's wrong, it shall be punished. This is the meaning of uh, um, the value of our society. Okay, reward the good people and punish the bad deed. Um, so, but we lost all those. In the name of so-called compassion, we, we really destroy, disrupt and eventually destroy all our, our law and order and our value, our, our framework. So knowing that this is all intentionally done, um, I, I, yeah, I don't know why they agree with me. So by enough people being aware of that, we can stop it. Because the whole idea is trick us into a situation where we just grab for life-saving whatever things, including that big mouth promising that he can save us from the crisis, those communist uh, politicians down the road. Um, yeah, anyway, so it is uh, indeed a very special era we're living in, uh, a lot of tests in our life, and uh, to our faith, and uh, yeah, and to our thinking. Yeah, and I saw out on a limb, uh, commented important to voting people of good moral character and the love of country who will follow the laws of our constitution. Well said. Actually, Victor Hansen, uh, he emphasized on that in my interview with him. Mm -hmm. And uh, Doc Watson said, we must remember good Americans vastly outnumber these criminals and we, the people, will win with unity. Yeah. I yeah. think, uh, well said. Well said, yes. Yeah. Okay, that will be all for today. And thank you for being with us. We are dealing with these solemn topics. Um, but they're important, right? They're important. As we become clear in our mind, our action will be clear too. All right, thank you. Okay, for thank you very much. Us. And uh, yeah, actually, this weekend is the Chinese New Year weekend. So we'll be busy doing the, all the Chinese program for our Chinese audience. But we also want to say Happy Chinese New Year to you. Yeah, Happy and, New uh, Year. Happy yeah. the Year of Tiger. Hope yeah. we'll have a better year and, than uh, last year. Yeah, and we'll all work together to win back the true China, not the CCP China, the true China, the traditional China, the China with good value. And I thank you for being with us. Let's do this together. All right. Bye-bye. Good night. Bye-bye.